This is a Federal News Network podcast. For the Veterans Health Administration, virtual reality isn't about fun and games. Its patients have seen real war in real life. Instead, the VHA's innovative ecosystem has teamed up with a vendor called Wellovate to develop immersion therapies for patients. They've been testing the system since August, and here with what they've learned, VHA innovation specialist Caitlin Rollins. Ms. Rollins, good to have you on. Thank you for having me. And the Director of Operations for the VHA Innovators Network, Allison Amrine. Ms. Amrine, good to have you on. Thank you so much. And just set the scene for us. Where in the vast hierarchy of VHA does this program live? You've got a special kind of innovation unit, it sounds like. Yes, that's correct. So the VHA Innovation Ecosystem lives with the Office of Research and Development, with the Office of Academic Affiliations. It's kind of in its own hierarchy, and and it's really focused on serving as the catalyst for enabling and spreading mission-driven healthcare innovation to advance care delivery, create new models of care and service, and allow for growth through innovation. And the virtual reality world through the ecosystem has really exploded and expanded uh, in such a short time. It's amazing. And you've got a corporate partner to help develop these programs? So I'm going to defer to Caitlin because I know that there's a number of them, not just quite the one. Caitlin will give a good landscape. All right, Caitlin. So we've actually been using Wellevate software with veterans since 2018. When I started that program, it was the only one within the VHA, but since that time, there are now over a hundred VAs utilizing extended reality technology, primarily virtual reality, and the number of collaborators is way more than one, and through the VHA Extended Reality Network, also located underneath the innovation ecosystem, we try to help bring those collaborators to frontline employees to be able to test, pilot, virtual reality software for different use cases across multiple veteran populations. So there are way more collaborations than one at this point. Okay. And let's talk about the one that started on August 17th. You launched a innovative ecosystem groundbreaking initiative in VHA's words. And what's going on there? Sure. So that is using the Wellevate platforms. Like I said, we've actually been working with them since 2018, but this particular collaboration is a 12-site quality improvement collaboration looking at six different use cases with multiple veteran populations across the country. It will be a two-year collaboration that allows, like I said, these frontline employees to kind of pilot and determine the feasibility of utilizing this technology with those populations in an effort to help with pain management, anxiety management, palliative care, fall risk assessments, neurological assessments. And just recently, we used virtual reality in the operating room for the very first time in the VHA. And Allison, what does this take to make sure that the powers that be, the directors of the medical centers and so forth, have the metrics they need to make sure that they can buy into the program and know that you're not doing odd experiments on their veterans? The first thing that is looked at and taken into account is the direct feedback from veterans. So with the innovation ecosystem and the the innovators network, which is what Caitlin and I are part of, it is all about the veteran and solving a problem. And 
what has been found is that the VR does this. And we provide a a space for outside of the day-to-day operations of the medical center to experiment in a safe and kind of fun way for employees and veterans. And that's what it started as. And supporting that, seeing the feedback, seeing the response from veterans, it's a trickle-down effect. And it doesn't take a lot to make leadership perk up um, when veterans are having such a positive response to something. We're speaking with Allison Amrine. She's Director of Operations for the Innovators Network and with Caitlin Rollins. She's an innovation specialist, both with the Veterans Health Administration. And Caitlin, let's get into some of the details. What is a use case? I see a picture of a veteran lying in a bed who had knee surgery and there's a virtual reality mask on his face. What's going on? Well, like I said, we use multiple different VR software platforms. That particular one that Veteran was using, he was looking at basically a nature scene in virtual reality, so a computer-generated environment that was allowing him to walk through the woods, to climb rocks, to sit by a campfire, listening to all the sounds of nature. There was animals there. So it really takes veterans outside of the four walls of their hospital room to allow them to experience positive distraction. And as we know, for things like pain and anxiety, if you can distract a veteran from that, even temporarily, you're basically putting their brain on something else. And it works incredibly well for all of the things that we've tried to use it for thus far. Just out of curiosity, what happens when you eventually have to take off the mask? Well, you know, that's one thing that we're still researching and not just within the VHA. So there's very little literature out there so far related to the sustained effect of virtual reality. And it really depends on the use case. So for something like acute pain, there may be a prolonged effect where they are distracted and kind of more at peace for a longer period of time. For something like chronic pain, their chronic pain may return quite quickly. But for some of these chronic pain patients with veteran populations, even 30 minutes without feeling their pain is a significant achievement. Because if they've been living with pain for 20 years and we can all of a sudden take that away, it's pretty monumental. And I've seen some wonderful reactions from our veterans. We've collected at this point over 300 veteran statements about their experience with virtual reality and has been overwhelmingly positive. I guess it's better than putting a tray of uh, slides into the carousel and pretending you're looking at nature. But what about some of the more kinetic applications? Because when you think of VR, you think of these games where people are running and throwing things and shooting things at each other. (laughs) Is there a motion PT type of physical therapy aspect to this that's possible? It is definitely possible. And that's been one of the emerging use cases within the VHA is for physical and occupational therapy in addition to pain management. And a lot of those platforms are actually FDA approved programs. So physical therapists and occupational therapists can see on the back end all of the actual measurement data that they would normally be collecting themselves. And patients are able to do it in kind of a gamified environment, making that experience a more positive and interactive one. We're looking at right now utilizing that with veterans actually in their homes, so doing it via remote care and telehealth, which I think is really going to change the way we're able to do remote care and make it a more immersive and pleasant experience. It sounds like it could have sort of dual use because you can get a better maybe motion for someone in a controlled environment like that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, if the PT is causing pain, like after knee replacement, for example, it's better to be looking at the mountain streams and lakes than at the kitchen sink you're actually leaning on. 
Absolutely. One of the VR platforms that we're looking at for PT and OT, for instance, while they're collecting range of motion data on cervical spine and upper extremities, they're actually in a game that looks like a medieval world with dragons flying around and trying to protect a dragon from the city or something like that. Uh, So they're completely distracted from the pain that they're experiencing. And I think that's where a lot of that potential lies so that, you know, we know that physical and occupational therapy, as you said, can be very painful. And so if we can make that a more enjoyable experience somehow, whether that's on site, like in the hospital or at their homes, I think that we're um, being successful. I'm going to have to try it with my hamstring that's been so active these past couple of months. And Allison, what kinds of data, what kinds of record keeping is being amassed here to get some sense of the efficacy of the program as a whole? I will also defer to Caitlin on that because she will know definitely more than I do. Um, I can say that one advantage of having an organization within VHA like the Innovation Ecosystem is our ability to collectively come together to form new networks and new groups of folks working throughout our giant system towards the same goal, using the same types of treatments, et cetera, in this case, VR. And it allows for data collection and collaboration and achieving the goal of kind of collecting information much easier. And that's a huge plus of having an ecosystem that's focused on innovation. But I will defer to Kaylin to to give you the numbers because she will have some numbers for you. Yes. uh, You stand outside the patient with the mask on with a clipboard, I imagine, checking off boxes (laughs) and taking notes. Kaylin? Uh, no, usually I'm just being entertained by their, their reaction to virtual reality, to be perfectly honest. Um, but a lot of the data that we collect, we do pre and post testing. So it may be vital signs, pain scores, anxiety scores, behavioral rating, whatever it might be. So we do that pre and post and collect that data, especially locally in Western North Carolina. As part of the VHA Extended Reality Network, as I said, that's a much larger group um, that grew out of a very small community of practice initially that only had about 12 people. And now we have over 400 that partake in that community of practice. And one of our goals in that is to help standardize some of the outcome data that we're collecting. So as one of the largest, if not the largest integrated healthcare systems, we want to make sure that the data we're collecting, um, utilizing this innovative technology, that we're collecting a lot of the same stuff so that across the board, we can see the efficacy of it for multiple use cases. But we do collect data and it has been overwhelmingly positive. So You know, if I've used it locally with over 350 patients, out of those, almost 70% of them experienced a decrease in pain using only virtual reality, or 92% of them had a decrease in anxiety levels. And I think, you know, another important piece of that, like I said, are those veteran statements that we collect about their actual experience. And that's where you get those candid remarks like, I didn't even think about my pain while I was using that or it took away my anxiety completely, or, you know, my favorite are like the food related ones, like uh, better than sliced bread or icing on the cake of my stay here. You know, those are the comments that we look for. And I think those speak volumes more so than any of the quantitative data that we can possibly collect. And a final question, is this all still considered pilot type of medicine? And is it en route to becoming established regular procedures? It is considered pilots at this point still. Like the program that I created in Nashville is further along than a lot of other sites. So it definitely is kind of becoming integrated with the care that we already deliver. 
but across the VHA as a whole, it's still very much kind of in pilot status with, you know, a relatively soon future goal of making it something that is diffused out to, you know, other sites across the board. My project was selected as the director's pick for Shark Tank this year during IEX. And the goal of that, you know, if I end up spreading the project is to diffuse it more broadly throughout the VHA. So even if it is still semi in pilot status, it is something that is absolutely gaining ground. And I think within the next couple of years, we will see it being rolled out as more of a standard of care. And while we have you, tell us about the event connected to this, where you're kind of demonstrating this for the world. Allison, I don't know if you want to explain that a little bit more. So the Innovation Experience is VHA's Innovation Conference of the Year, you can say, but we do prefer the word experience because you will get to experience firsthand accounts from people like Caitlin who have innovated the care model of VA and and their experience with how they did that and how it was successful, why it was successful. Um, So you get to hear from frontline employees who are innovating and changing the care at VA for veterans, as well as collaborators that we're working with to do this work together. Everything is of course, better together, we're able to accomplish more with diverse perspectives. This year's event, also very excited that Secretary McDonough will be there to give remarks on the first day, highlighting the importance of innovation at VA. And we have just a number of really creative and fun experiences for those who attend. And this takes place when and where? So this takes place October 27th and 28th, and it will be completely virtual, and it's being broadcast from the National Press Club. It is usually a face-to-face experience, but pandemic life still reigns, so you can still register for the event, and it is completely open to the public even. Online, you can have casts of thousands. Allison Amrine is Director of Operations for the Innovators Network, and Caitlin Rollins is an innovation specialist, both at the Veterans Health Administration. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive, along with a link to that conference. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, 
And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, Absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, 
his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to to spend an assignment with uh, with backup and and guidance like that. What what great great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.